Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Kip Boyle. I'm here with my co-host, Jason Dion. Well, thank you for uh, joining here, uh, joining us here in the episode. Hey, we've got a great guest for you today. It's John Strand with the Black Hills Information Security. John also is a ringleader in a couple of other places that we think you ought to know about. One of them is Wild West Hacking Fest, which we're going to talk about some other time. Today, what we want to talk about is a new skills-based certification program that John and his team has created. It's called Anti-Siphon. John, welcome to the podcast. Would you uh, introduce yourself? You bet. Um, I'm the owner of Black Hills Information Security. I was a co-host and still am, I think, emeritus for Security Weekly. So I see all these podcasts and I'm like, oh, it's my children and grandchildren. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, taught for the Sands Institute for about 15 years, uh, was a senior instructor with them. And now really trying to focus on trying to make cybersecurity accessible for the rest of the population that just can't afford to get you know world world class security training, and that's really what we're trying to do. That's great. Now your 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 company is called Black Hills Information mm -hmm. Security because you live in the Black Hills, yes, right? That was a mistake. I, <laughs> so whenever we moved home, I was living in Denver, Colorado, and um, Northrop Grumman wanted me to travel all the time to do consulting, and I was teaching for Sands quite regularly, and my wife and I were like we don't need to do that. We don't need to proudly serve, serve corporate masters. So we moved to the Black Hills and the idea was we would name the company Black Hills Information Security so everyone in the Black Hills knew we were local. <laughs> to date, Black Hills Information Security has three customers in the state of South Dakota out of about 650 per year. Um, so yeah, that's how we ended up with Black Hills Information Security. So that was a mistake, but well, yeah, I don't the name's know. good. Yeah, I think it's a I think it was a good mistake because there's like zero chance anybody else is gonna conflate <laughs> you with anybody else, right? So, so are you the company good. owned by Chris Nickerson? No, that's not <laughs> that's not us. No. Yeah. And you've got uh Wild West Hacking Fest happens in Deadwood. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've actually managed to I heard you talk in another podcast about, you know, the vision for uh, a, a conference that would actually require you to not travel very much. Right. It was a bet, actually, between my wife and I. Um, I so she kept on trying to convince me to convince the Sands Institute to run a class here in Deadwood. And there's no way that would happen like ever. And um, after I retired from the Sands Institute, um, she still was kind of pushing that. She goes, you do all these conferences. You should totally do a conference here. And I'm like, that's not going to work on like, no one is going to want to fly to South Dakota <laughs> and attend a security conference. Turns out she was right. I was wrong. That's a huge spoiler. I think for people that like didn't see that coming. Um, but we ended up, I think our last one, we ended up with something like 850 people that flew into Deadwood, South Dakota. Um, to hang out and do a conference. And we, we give a free steak dinner to everybody. Um, we put on either a nerdcore rap show or Bo and I will do like a metal set. Um, we do all of this stuff because we're desperately trying to break even or lose money um, in this conference, uh, just because it's so cool to get everyone to come here. We try to make it the best security conference on the planet. Um, yes, Bruce, Heidi, I just called you guys out. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, as cool as ShmooCon is, they're not giving steak dinners to people. 
And uh, we really, really want to make sure that we reward people for being willing to make the trek out here. Well, I was trying to come out this last time, but of course, COVID, right? So I had to... Well, we had it right after the rally. And I don't know, bringing in 500,000 people, like we saw our hospitals were completely at capacity. And we're like noping the hell out of doing this conference. I, I think that was the right call. I, I was totally comfortable with that. So I was like, well, that's all right. You know, I'll let the, the calendar spin and I'll get out to Deadwood <laughs> next time. Right. So it's well, it's but a problem. San Diego is coming up. Um, I'll be at San Diego. Yep. Yeah. All and things that's going to you know, happen, I think. Well, yeah. So we don't, as long as we don't stay virtual, but you know, eventually, right. We're going to, we're going to meet in person again. So, well, yeah. okay. So uh, thanks uh, for taking a moment to tell everybody who you are, kind of what you do. Really appreciate it. Um, so, but well, let's start talking about anti-siphon mm -hmm. training because that's really what I think people want to know about. And I want them to know about it because I think it's a valuable resource. And we're also going to be telling uh, in a, in another venue, we're going to talk about anti-siphon to, uh, hiring managers, right? Because that's kind of the other nice. side of the equation, right? Because if we want folks to uh, consider taking advantage of, of this new certification, well, now we got to get hiring managers to recognize that, that it's valuable, yeah. right? So we're going to have that other conversation some other time, but I just want to let everybody know like that that's a valuable part of the conversation that is going to happen. But John, why yeah. did you even start this? I mean, what, what what's going on in your head? COVID, actually. Um, so COVID. Um, so I had traveled for a long time and I taught like anywhere between 12 to 17 times a year. Um, towards the end, I was down to nine and I had been away from my family from a long, for a long time. And whenever I retired from that, I was ready to be done. I don't want to get on airplanes. I don't want to teach. I don't want to, um, <laughs> you know, we, I was talking about it earlier with somebody about, you know, the InfoSec luminary, InfoSec rock star thing. Um, there's a bunch of people, that's not me. And I, I've come to peace with being quote unquote, a luminary being a rock star, whatever the hell it is that people want to do it. And I was cool with just never doing that again, ever. And um, what happened was COVID hit. And at Black Hills Information Security, we had at the time COVID hit, I think we had like 68 employees. And we are now at like 90 some, we've grown quite a bit. And whenever something happens where all of a sudden every single engagement is like canceled, over the next like 30, 45 days, you panic. And being a monkey um, that's lost his tail and came down from the trees, you start <laughs> throwing poop at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> so we're like, how are we gonna make money? How are we going to survive as a company? And how can we open up alternative revenue streams? One of them was starting a security operations center, um, which has been also successful, that poop stuck. And then we did training. And when we started doing the training, um, we've really focused on people that were at home. They couldn't go into the office and people who were unemployed and making that training as accessible and the pay what you can model to make it just easy for people to get in. And it stuck and it took off. Uh, the first time we did the pay what you can training, we had 5,000 people. That's a lot of people. And then we moved into cloud and all kinds of other stuff. So it became an, a revenue stream for BHIS and for our testers and the people that wanted to do this. Not that we needed it at the end of the day for COVID, everything worked out really, really well for the company, but it all started because we were panicky and we started doing things because it's been so successful as a business owner, I'd be an idiot. If I'm like, well, that's done, let's move on. Um, we're going to keep going. 
So, John, let, let me ask you this, because uh, you know some of our audience probably doesn't know about Andy Siphon and what that training is and how it's yeah. different. So, a lot of the audience already knows me. Uh, I, I do a lot of certification training. It's a lot yep. of book work. It's a lot of memorization. It's a lot of passing an ABCD test at the end of the day yep. to say, yep. hey, I know enough to be a basic level cybersecurity analyst or a basic level yep. pen tester or something like that. How is your training different? What does it look like to the end user? So a couple of things. One, um, you know, the quality of the training is going to be on par with any other training organization you will take training from. But a difference is instead of it being long form, we really try to stick to focused like two day maximum sessions, right? So if you're going to do breaching the cloud with Bo, it's going to be a two day session. If you're going to do web app pen testing essential skills with like BB, it's going to be a two day session, keeping it really hyper-focused. Number one, number two, hands-on are huge. Um, we're huge believers and you just can't learn just by death by PowerPoint. You need to have people get hands-on. And for me, with our classes, like applied purple teaming with uh, Jordan and Kent, you know, you're learning how to do purple teaming and running these tools and detecting these things in an environment and making sure it's as hands-on as possible uh, for the different labs. Now, there's lots of training that does that. On the certification side, that's where things are getting a bit different. Um, one of the things I would like to see more of is kind of that skills-based assessment that is no longer, as you said, the ABCD. Um, that's, look, there's value in that. There's no question that there's value in that. But I think the better assessment of skills for the people that we've been hiring is when we hire pen testers and they're like, I'm ridiculously high on hack the box. I'm ridiculously high on try hack me. I'm ridiculously high on meta CTF who's our partner on creating the cyber range and everything, those people perform. Even something like the Holiday Hack Challenge, which is coming up from Ed Scotus and CounterHack, where somebody says, I've solved all the Holiday Hack Challenges over the past five years. Here's my solution write-ups. That's applied. And that's something that I think that we need to start focusing more on in the industry as a whole. Yeah, I, I love that. And I've seen a big change in the industry in recent years where they've tried to get away from ABCD and more into skills-based training, but they're not 100% skills-based yet. There are some certifications True. out there that try to do that. Um, and we can talk about well, why that has or has not been successful. Um, and I think that that's a good conversation. Let's dwell on that. Yeah. One of the big reasons is a lot of the certification programs are whole completely wrapped up in being like an ANSI certified certification, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So there's rules. It's got to be proctored. You got to have this, you got to have that, you got to have this. And honestly, I don't think anybody cares about ANSI. Like whenever you're hiring somebody at like BHIS, we don't get together and go, well, did he take an ANSI certified like certification? No one cares. It's like that scene from Jurassic Park. It's like, Hey, you're, you're ANSI certified. See, no one cares. Um, and then they talk about cheating, right? Well, somebody could cheat and they could do this. It's like bad people are always going to do bad things. Oh, it's definitely. Okay. I, That's yeah. why we exist. <laughs> That's why we exist. Oh. I, I think one good example of uh, doing it the non-ANSI way, right? And, and doing a skills-based training is o OCSP, right? The, the, uh, OS, the yeah, hacking OCSP. cert, right? Yep. yep. Well, and even they're fighting it because remember... OCB. There was people that they were, you could hire them in India and they got really good and they would uh -huh. take the test for you. So now with the OSCP, they're like, well, now we want everyone to turn on their camera and we can watch them. I'm like, 
totally not creepy at all. Guys. Yeah, my wife's had to take some certification exams to become a public school teacher. And that's what she had to go through as well. She did it one time. And after after that, she's like, I'm not doing that again. I'm going to put on my mask. I'm going to the testing center because that was such mm. an awful, awful experience, you know, that she had. Um, but, you know, John, I think one of the reasons why uh, the basic certifications aren't necessarily of interest to you at BHIS is because, well, you don't have a separate HR department would be my guess, right? Where oh, there's an applicant ooh, tracking system and a bunch of gatekeeping that's going on, right? And so I think that if you're somebody who's seeking cybersecurity work at a very large organization, well, that's something you've got to figure out how to navigate, mm -hmm. right? So if yeah. all you had were skills-based testings from anti-siphon, then you might not be able to navigate all oh, those no, wickets agreed. in agreed. the applicant tracking system at, at this point today, right? But that gets back to the whole idea of well, once hiring managers realize that this is a thing, they can go to HR and say, hey, I want you to put you know, the, the anti-siphon terms into the applicant tracking system so that you can key those mm -hmm. on the resume and float those out. Because I agree with you, John, I have a team of people, I operate as a virtual chief information security officer, and what I care about is people who can solve problems. Yep. And what are the proxies that let me know that they can solve problems and an A plus or a network plus or security plus isn't enough to give me that assurance. Yeah, and you know what's happening with a lot point, of these certifications. I come from the oh, DOD, oh, sorry, I come from the DOD contracting world, right? And the DOD and government sector. And they have rules in the 8570 that says you must have this cert, right? So if you don't have security plus, you're not getting hired, right? That's part so of the job description. Do you, you now, want to know a little bit of inside baseball about the 8570? Yeah, go for it. I, I'm more open with stories that I tell about these things. So years ago, a long, long, long time ago, when 8570 was just a wee baby, <laughs> they reached out to all the certifying organizations out there, like Security Plus, and they reached out to ISC, and they reached out to SANS. Stephen Northcutt, who was running the SANS Institute at the time, brought together the greatest minds of the SANS Institute. Like, you know, you got, you're like in a room, it's like Kung Fu Panda. You got like Eric Cole, Ed Scotus, and you know, I'm the fat panda. I'm like, why am I here? I'm not a tiger. Um, and, um, and there was a tremendous amount of thought and care and love that went into deciding which cert would be at which level would be level one. This maybe can be level three. This can be level two. Just, I'm, I'm not kidding guys. It was a lot of thought and I'm not being facetious. It was a lot of thought when it came out or lovingly thought of level one classes, level two classes were there. And there was the CISSP. It was like tech level three and management level three. Booyah. And we were just like, what the hell just happened in this entire thing? Um, so it's kind of funny how that 8570 thing came about and how certifications got at the level that they did. And once again, SANS was trying to do the right thing and other people were just like YOLO sucking it and just dropping it in at the highest levels. Definitely. And I think this goes back to Kip's point though, right? In a lot of large organizations, if you're going to try to get a job in the government, you're going to try to get a job at a government contractor. If you're a military employee even, you have to meet those 8570 requirements. And so because mm -hmm. they're on that chart, those certs become powerful. And, and that's one of the things that I've seen that um, OSCP has struggled with. They are not oh, on yeah. the chart, but uh, CEH is. And you and I both know CEH is, <laughs> in my opinion, a garbage cert, right? I mean, anybody yep. can study a test dump and go take CEH, uh, you know, CEH this weekend and pass it. It's not yep. hard, um, but it takes a lot of effort to actually pass the OSCP. But yet, because it hasn't made that cut, it's, it's not valued by HR managers. Well, and I think one of the things I'd like to ask you is I think things are changing. 
right? Because the hiring process in security is, is pretty much been for a long time standardizing mediocrity. Um, yes. You know, basically we're going to say that, like you said, we have certain certs that may or may not be garbage, but there's not as high and good as other certs, but we're creating something for HR to create a filter, right? So standardizing mediocrity across the board, but it's weird. The last way West hacking fest, I had people coming up to me because they took my intro to the SOC, intro to security training class. And I had these three people, separate people come up to me and they're like, I literally got a job specifically because I said, I took your class. And I'm like, that's awesome. What the hell? No certification, right? There's no cert with it. So I think what's happening is the organizations who know, know, and they're starting to put a little bit more effort into it. And even the larger organizations, I think the people that are hiring for their position, not the HR managers, but the actual manager managers are being much more invested in that process yeah. than just letting I, HR deal. With there's it. no, I, okay. I, I don't think there's any doubt that a hiring manager wants to get people who can solve problems now, but they struggle because uh, the recruiters, whether they're internal recruiters inside the HR department or the external recruiters, they're, they're doing more traditional filtering based on keywords uh, that are embedded in resumes. So mm -hmm. Jason and I, when we teach people who want to break into cybersecurity or want to level up into like a promotion or something like that, we always tell them, look, do what you can to get through ATS. You know, get those keywords in there. We teach them that. But then the other thing we teach them, which is really what Jason Blanchard also teaches, and God yep. bless Awesome, right is how do you actually get yourself in front of a hiring manager as a, an alternative or as a second <laughs> path to applicant tracking because that's when you're going to have a conversation like I took anti-siphon training these are the courses that I did and that that hiring manager right if they've heard of what you're doing John um, that's where the value you know is going to pop yeah. yeah I just keep wondering there's like a I can't remember what it's called uh, but I think it's SAG um, spring, string, uh, screen actors guild. Right. Mm -hmm. yes. And when people are applying for roles in movies and in TV, it, you have to hire somebody who's SAG, or you have to be willing to pay a fine and then bring on that person, like whoever acted into SAG. So it's really hard to get, if you're a new actor or actress, anything, if you're not SAG mm -hmm. and what a lot of actors and actresses do is on their resumes and stuff, they say, I'm SAG eligible. <laughs> yeah, Maybe yeah. That's what we need to do. Is I'm CISSP yeah, I, I eligible. When I was hiring for positions, and I actually talk uh -huh. about this in our course that we have. I was hiring for a position, and it was a DoD position, so it required that they had CISSP because mm -hmm. it was a level three management position, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and we were going through, and I got thousands of applicants. HR narrowed it down to eighty-three. Out of those eighty-three. Three people were CISSP certified, right? But the other 80 had written CISSP, took a boot camp in XYZ, um, you know, studying for my CISSP, something like that. So it got to me. And then as a hiring manager, I said, you don't meet my requirement. And I threw them aside and I went for yep. the people who actually were CISSP. So it yep. will get you to a point. But in my case, right, where like CISSP desired, I might have said in my... Yep. Uh, job posting, right? But then I'm going to see all these other people that, oh, okay, so they were smart enough to, you know, get through the filters on HR. Well, that takes a little doing, right? That yeah. takes a little yeah. thought and a little effort and a little application. I like that. I would probably look at them and, you know, at least they'd get additional I, consideration. And that's why this I had stuff one, is so hard, right? Because it's completely different depending on where you come from. Absolutely. Is, right? mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I had one person that applied and, uh, his, he had a cert from, I think it was immunity. Um, that was not a CISSP. 
Um, so immunity had these weird certs, like their no op certification. That if you showed up to their booth, this is like 10 years ago and you could write an exploit on the fly within 15 minutes, you could get a no op certification, wow. you get a button and a certification, not a CISSP. And I'm going through his resume and it's like, not a CISSP. <laughs> and then it says no op. And I'm like, you're hired. Um, just because <laughs> once again, that's tribal knowledge, right? Like how do you transfer that to the hiring department at Booz Allen Hamilton? It's like they, they would lose their minds. So if they say they're not a CISSP, then that's probably not good. But if it says it's this thing and if, if it's no op and then they have this and then they have this and then they do these things. And if they make any dead beef references, what? Yeah. Do they mention dead beef anywhere? in their resume needs to get to me immediately. What does that even mean? <laughs> just send it to me, right? You know, it's, it's just weird. Yeah, it, going back to your, your training, I, I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. So you'd mentioned there are two-day kind of micro courses focusing on a specific thing, whether it's intro mm -hmm. to SOC, intro to pen testing, uh, web app hacking, whatever that thing is. In that, is that a video-based asynchronous or is that a live nine to five each day with a live instructor for two hours and, and doing labs? What does that look like? Both-ish. Um, so up until recently, it's been instructor-led. Um, and you guys probably know more about this than I do, but I was cool with that, right? Like, you know, they get up, they present, uh, they teach like 80 people or like some of the stuff that we do, it's pay what you can, we get in the thousands. Chris Brenton has some that consistently pop three to 5,000 people, which is just mind blowing. And we had people constantly saying, well, do you have anything on demand? Do you have anything on demand? Do you have anything on demand? And we're like, why? Um, so in the next 30 days, we are going to be converting our number of our classes to on-demand as well. Mm. So awesome. there will be live. I love live. Like most of our on-demand classes are going to be live, recorded with Discord. And 15 years of SANS instruction. I wonder why he likes live. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I've had companies that have approached me. They're like, could you just teach? And then we put you in a box and we write you checks. And I'm like, that sounds like it sucks. Um, why would I do that? Um, but because there's been a huge demand for it. Um, we are going to be moving to an on-demand platform, but you'll get access to the Discord server, the labs, mm -hmm. the instructor and everything, which is what every on-demand uh, platform yeah, so tells you. I've got so. to compliment you, John, because you're listening to the market and a lot of companies oh, God, don't not, do that. And it's, it's not, the easiest you know how much thing that in the hurts world. Me. Just listen to the market. I mean, oh you know, gosh. if that's what they want, I mean, we're all about serving, right? I mean, we want yeah. to serve. And if, the, and if our customers want us to serve them in the way that we wouldn't necessarily choose, you know, I mean, you can be purist, I suppose, and, you know, denied, but I, I just, I really appreciate it when companies are willing to be flexible and serve people the way they want to be served. I mean, it's not yeah. unethical. It's not illegal. Let's go ahead and do it, you know? So yeah. anyway, I just want to compliment you for that. No, um, and, and, and you do it. I think you're being a little bit facetious, but you know how hard it is for me, right? To make no, that I, leap. Yes, it I do. It really is because yeah. I, I'm a purist at heart. I know. But like you said, one I suck at capitalism. I don't suck that bad at capitalism. So, and then two, like you said, people want it. I have people like I live in, you know, Mongolia. I am not going to get up and listen to you rant at 11 o'clock tonight until three o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm like, good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I am actually really surprised that you guys started out with live being that you're doing a pay as you can model, right? Normally the whole goal with a pay as you can is try to get your cost as low as possible so you can put this out and scale it to as many people as possible. And mm -hmm. doing that live is really hard because you got to pay for that instructor. And these guys yep. are expensive because well, they're qualified and, 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 and they know what they're doing, right? <laughs> so that's one of the fun facts. You know, we have former SANS instructors that are doing this. Like 
you know, my big brother, Chris Brenton, who taught uh, the firewall perimeter protection class at Sands and was a fellow, um, he does his class, pay what you can. Joff Thayer, who taught all kinds of classes in Python um, for Sands and myself are doing it. And a couple of things. One, dude, guys, the energy of teaching 3,000 people and they're all on Discord. And then they go into this, it's just like this weird thing. We're like, we're going to make John laugh with SpongeBob SquarePants memes mm-hmm. while I'm teaching. Like I'm getting choked up thinking about it. It's, it's magic. And when we started the pay what you can, you know, we started it and it had a lot to do with scholarships. It had a lot to do with um, diversity. So we're always fighting this thing in the industry of how do we get more diverse people, uh, different race, religions, sexuality, color, like whatever, because diversity of thought is important. And no one ever really talks about why, like everyone's like diversity is important. Why? And they're like, because I saw it on a bumper sticker. (laughs) But the reason why diversity is so important is because I'm just going to use some examples. Look at music. If you look at pop music, it sucks. It's bad. If you look at any huge explosion in music, it's always a fusion of different things. Like you'll take Celtic music and you'll fuse it with like um, African blues and you start coming out with like, like harder rock and roll, or you do a lot of acid and you come out with, you know, (laughs) Pink Floyd. Um, But the, the point is whenever you have diversity in art, whenever you have diversity in music, you come up with things that you didn't even know could exist and you can solve problems. So with diversity, everyone's like scholarships. And that's great for the people that get the scholarships. Doesn't change the damn game at all. You know, you give a few scholarships to people of a certain group or whatever, and then you do the photo op. Look at us. We're diverse. Doesn't change the game. But when you do pay what you can, whoever you're, wherever you're coming from, Whatever socioeconomic status, whatever race, religion, creed, sexuality, whether you're coming out from the mountains of South Dakota and you haven't taken a bath in weeks or you're coming from the inner city in Chicago. And haven't bathed in weeks. It's always about (laughs) money. Always. The gate is money. We remove that gate and damn it, let's change the game. But the weird thing is getting to your point with this long-winded round of thing. And I had a point. I'm sorry. I just kind of forgot it for a second. But the point of all of it is when we did that and we got those thousands of people, I made more in four days than I did in an entire year of teaching for SANS. Which is uh, no small ticket item. No. Well, there's a big difference between what you pay and what instructors get paid. Um, (laughs) Let's let's not get into that. Okay. But the point of it is we found by doing that, we were actually still able to make money. But like you said, it's a scale game. How many people can you get in and what's the average per seat? And honestly, when we started, it was like, I think it was averaging like $20 or something like that uh, per student. And what happened is we had a whole bunch of people that took it and they're like, I feel really bad because I didn't pay you anything. Can I come back and pay? And I'm like, absolutely not a problem. And now we're averaging about a hundred to $150 per student um, is what we're making on some of our classes. And that's not huge money, but it, it, dude, if it changes their life and it helps keep the lights on, let's keep doing it. That rocks. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and then I think the next piece of this is, you know, as we talk about the training, it, 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 it's awesome training. You're getting labs, you're getting a live instructor, you're getting high quality instruction, right? Because uh, as Kip said, if you go to a SANS course, it's awesome, high quality stuff. As you said, you did that for a long time, but it's mm-hmm. $5,000 a person to go. And eight, I don't eight. know anybody who's ever. Yeah, it's up to eight course. now. 
that paid for themselves. Yeah. It's always they did so, it because their company paid for them. Yeah. Right? And not every company will pay for it. Yeah. No, they won't. And uh, but let's be honest, right? I came from the Sands Institute. The best training in the world is Sands training. That you, 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 for me, teaching the number of people that were like, I took a class from Sands and it fundamentally changed my life. Right below religious experience is off <laughs> the charts. But is it accessible for everybody? Hell no. Let's not. Let's like you said, most companies won't even. Afford like pay for it. Is it available for somebody that's washing dishes or working mm -hmm. two jobs or a single mom that's trying to pay for daycare? Hell no. So for me, I look at success. If our program is successful, it's the number of people that get the jobs that can then take training like the Sands Institute. Well, goddamn, then I'm successful. Um, so like, if you're in a job that's paying for that, you're welcome. Um, and it's going to make you a better person. So it's all about finding the places that are the, the right fit for the right people at the right time and having a more diverse training, like palette is really going to help people get there. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, this is great. Okay. So John, uh, as we wrap up uh, the episode, cause we're, we're coming to the end of the time here. So, um, listen, you wanted to say something about, uh, cyber deception. Uh, there's a little, little tip for the audience. Yeah. Tell us what, tell us what you had in mind. So with cyber deception, um, we have a class coming up and I can get you guys a link, but it, if you go to the anti-stiphon website, go to free training, you see all of our free training classes that are there and cyber deception is one of them. Why is it free training or not free, but pay what you can just because I'm teaching it. And literally every class I'm going to teach from here on out is going to be pay what you can, because this is the best way for me to serve the, the community that has been so good to me. It is truly all about serving and getting these people where they need to go. But cyber deception is my favorite class. Um, literally the first two, intro to SOC and intro to security are building up to the cyber deception class. And I want to leave your listeners with like a couple of recommendations. One, go into your environment and create some honey user accounts. Um, you don't have to worry about the names. You don't have to be administrators because attackers don't target specific accounts in your environment. They'll dump all of the users with the net user space forward slash domain, and they will password spray all of them post-exploitation. So create an account, log in to this account. That's important because you want to update the uh, date timestamp for last login from January 1st, 1961, because that's what it is by default until you log into it. You want to make sure it's an, an actual active account. Don't deactivate it because there's tools will skip right over it. Give it a really long password, set its logon hours to zero. So it's active, but it's impossible to interact with. And then create a rule in your SIM that if anybody tries to authenticate as that account, it locks that workstation out. This is easy. You can set it up relatively quickly in most of your SIMs, set up critical alerts, and it will make your pen tester cry because <laughs> pen testers almost universally will go post-exploitation password spray to elevate. You can also do this with service accounts, create a fake service account that's Kerberosable, give it a long password and set up an alert if somebody tries to authenticate to that service account. Same thing. And finally, I want you to check out a website called canarytokens.org. Um, this is by a good friend of mine, Haroon, um, the people at Thinkist. Um, they have created a website where you can generate a whole bunch of different honey tokens, anything from word web bugs, DNS tokens, custom executables, JavaScript that you can put on your authentication portal, that if an attacker clones your authentication portal, as soon as they stand up that server, it'll reach back and let you know that it's been cloned, fake AWS keys and so on. Look at some of these things here. They're easy. They're really simple to use, highly effective. 
And the third thing I want you to do is the next time you have a pen test and the attacker fumbles over these things, I want you to collect their tears and make wine <laughs> because pen testers tears make the best wine and check out the class. If you like these tips, um, we have a class that has like 14 labs, two days, um, all cyber deception, wall to wall. We tie it to the miter shield framework, which is now a framework for cyber deception. Um, it's all killer, no filler. And on top of that, it's pay what you can. So you really have no risk whatsoever. Come check it out. Let's make cyber deception mainstream. That's really cool. Now I want to I want to do two things for the audience in case anybody is listening and they and they might have tripped up on a couple of things you said, John. Right? A honey this, a honey that. Okay. Just to be clear, if you don't understand what that term means, right? A honey pot is something that we use in network security to attract an attacker away from our high value assets mm -hmm. and get them to interact with a trap. A honeypot, right? Get them all sticky and stuck and get them really interested in this sweet looking thing. Meanwhile, all the alarm bells are going off and that gives us an opportunity exactly. to to respond. So that's what honeypot kind of means. And now we're applying that to all these other different things. Now, if you're wondering why does John Strand know so much about pen testers tears? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's because that's a lot of what Black Hills Information Security does, right? We do yeah. pen testing um, and, and it's one of these weird things where I have my pen testers call me up sometimes and they're like, did you, did you talk, did you talk to this customer before I broke in? <laughs> like maybe, because <laughs> I went in and I was on an SSH box and I was there for like 15 minutes and it turns out it was fake. You did have, did you have anything to do with that? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a password spray and they locked the machine out that I compromised within five minutes of me doing it. Was that you helping them? Maybe. <laughs> so look, my goal and everyone's goal in the pen testing community should be one thing. It should be singular, making our lives difficult. If we are successful, we make our lives miserable and hard. That is the definition of success. And that's what we're after. And that's what I'm teaching in this class, basically how to make your pen tester or hacker cry. Awesome. So John, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity since you're here and, and you're the leader of Black Hills Information Security. We have a lot of folks in our audience trying to break into cybersecurity. And I have a lot of people always asking, you know, I want to be a pen tester. That's everybody's dream in cybersecurity, it seems mm -hmm. like, because it sounds fun and sexy and cool. If somebody wants to become a pen tester, they're brand new. What are the steps you'd recommend for them to take? Like what is kind of the, the classes they should take, the search whatever college, whatever it is and then how do they get somebody to take notice of them so they can possibly get a job as a junior penetration history and enter your you bat so number one take whatever you can get don't be picky and choosy like we were talking about the ceh yeah kind of a garbage cert but you know what it's going to get you through some interviews it's also affordable um so you can do that uh if you can get the cissp get it if you can get sans certs and you have a company that's paying for that get them if you don't have that then really focus on try hack me and hack the box and meta CTF. You want to set up, you want to start doing these cyber range challenges. You want to start pushing yourself and learning how to do these things and grinding through it. And you want to put that front and center on your resume because you have to prove something. And even if you have certifications, if I have two resumes, one resume is nothing but a bunch of infosec certs. And the other one is a whole bunch of try hack me and hack the box challenges and your levels and how kick-ass you've done there. I'm going to go for the second resume with the try hack me and hack the box, because that shows me this is a person that's taking personal initiative to improve their career, not just through the path that everyone goes, but doing it kind of their own way. 
So get out there and get available or get, get out there and just start doing these cyber ranges. Um, also, once again, Ed Scotus's holiday hack challenge. You can't do much better than the holiday hack challenge. You can go do previous year's challenges, still solve those, put it up on a blog somewhere, link it. So whenever I'm reading your resume, it's like, here's my write-up for the holiday hack challenge because there's a dirty little secret in pen testing. People don't know this, but how do you feel about being an author? If you're like, I hate running or I hate writing and I want to get into pen testing. Well, guess what? You're going to learn to love it. So, um, so that's number one, take advantage of anything and everything. And you do this by shutting off the TV, shutting off video games, choose a 30 day window, drill as hard as you can for 30 days, and then take a couple of months off and not watch game of Thrones or whatever. Just, you know, sit down and watch something, play video games, whatever it is you do. And then take another 30 days and focus on these short bursts of where you learn as much as you can. You're going to get in. You're going to get in. The final thing I'm going to recommend, and this is weird, I want you all to go out and get registered for No Red Ink. No Red Ink is a writing and grammar website that teaches you in probably one of the best interactive ways how to use the proper active and passive voice, how to use verb tenses. Uh, there and there, which and which, and all these different things. It's absolutely essential that you write and you communicate effectively. And just like you're going to feed your technical chops, you need to feed your writing chops as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, John. Uh, I love it. As, as we say, you know, the name of the platform is Anti Siphon. Uh, it is a mm -hmm. little bit hard to spell, so we are going to make sure it's in the show notes. It's with a Y. So make sure yep, you, with uh, you go ahead and go to the show notes at uh, yourcyberpath.com for this episode, and you'll make sure to get all the links to Black Hill Security and Anti Siphon so you can go get some of that awesome pay as you want uh, training. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. We're so glad you were here. Thanks, John Strand. Yeah. You bet. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Cyber Path. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com, where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.